but I really do believe this is going to be a benchmark year for Clearview spiritually, and one I, I do, and because of what God is doing through Keys to Freedom, we're hearing so many stories and already, and but more than anything, I, I believe this is going to be a good year for us and our souls. Um, and I think... Zach said it, and it's so true. I, I, was, I literally was sitting there going, wow, it's weird. I'm thinking the same thing about, I think in a, in a distraction economy where we're just, we're constantly being pulled in our time and our minds, and there's everything from our phones to notifications to just our, the way we live our lives, and, and I, I'm, I'm as in the middle of that as you are, but sometimes this, I, I almost just thought about standing up here and just saying, hey, congratulations, you made it. You actually made it to church. And if you have kids, you know there's a deeper meaning to that um, than just, just, just getting here is a Red Sea moment sometimes. And then getting here still speaking to each other is, is a real, don't look at me like y'all have never had some of your worst arguments on the way to church. Come on, people. Like, don't leave me up here stranded because you know. That's why I come to church by myself for a reason because we're all in a good mood by the time we get there. You know, it's just, uh, man, it's, it's uh, in, that, in that wild. But, but you know, it's, it's just getting here. Sometimes it's, it's really hard anymore. Um, I was reading a book this week that uh, research is indicating and, and I, I, my undergrad's in sociology, so I know you can bend statistics. I, I know you can. But, I can, but it, it, it goes without saying, this one researcher is saying that now uh, the average American's attention span, because of notifications and because of and ding, ding, and all that, um, is less than 10 seconds before you're asked to move your mind. And I, I, don't know if it's less, I don't know if that's true, but I can tell you it sure does feel true, doesn't it? It, it does feel true, and so uh, us just being here with the Word of God is a big deal. Um, I want to I want to tell you about tonight. Tonight we're doing something, uh, or actually I'll tell you about the first one coming up a week from tonight. A week from tonight we're doing a Freedom Celebration Night. So that, what is that? Well, we've never done it before, but I'll tell you what it's going to be. It's going to be a night where you're going to hear some testimonies, and we're going to give you a chance to testify. It is a, a Baptist version of Open Mic Night. Um, look, don't make us never do this again, okay? Don't be the one, you know, oh, yeah, yeah because of Mark Baird, we can never do that again, you know? You know, but, but you know, no, we're, we're, we got ways, but we do want to hear about what God has done, you know, and what God is doing, and um, you're going to want to be there that night. I'm telling you, if, you've, if you're going to hear about how God has used the, the, the last series and that you're going through as a church, you know, we're the, uh, we're the first church to, to have taken this on as a church, Keys to Freedom, and so uh, it's, it's really unique what the Lord is doing there, so I hope you get here next Sunday night at 6 o'clock tonight at 6 o'clock, um, I'm going to be walking with you through a workshop. Um, the best way I could describe it is, is how to form spiritual agreements. You're like, Jason, what is that? Well, let me, let me tell you, I don't want to go into all that tonight. I, I, I mean today, but I want to do it tonight. And I, I want to just say this to you, and it's not because it's going to be the content's going to blow you away. And, but God has, given, God has given us a way to have what I would call navigational waypoints. Like you're on your GPS, you have waypoints. When you get off course, it says, you know, return to root or whatever it says, you know. There's, there's waypoints that we have, and, and this is about how to align your mind with God's mind. 
When you go through anxiety or when you go through an issue at work, when you go through an issue in your marriage, when the enemy speaks something into your mind about shame or condemnation, you need actual tools to pull you out of the ditch. And very few people know how to do that. And I'm going to walk you through biblical statements on how to get yourself in line with God's mind. I can tell you this. I really do say this. I mean it with, with the most um, sincerity I can find. I don't think you're going to regret it. I know that it's probably vague to you what this is about tonight at 6 o'clock in the chapel, but I want to tell you, come, come, bring a pad, bring a pen, bring a Bible, and I'm going to walk you through a personal journey of how God has shown me how to use truth to navigate me when I'm up against a hard situation in my head or in my life. And I'm telling you, it really does work. So uh, one last thing I want to tell you about a big victory I think the Lord has given us. This is a picture we took with a group called Generational Forces. Generational Forces is, is a company that helps, helps companies and churches learn how to reach the next generation, specifically millennials. And they are our future and yet I know that there's a lot of data going around right now about the millennial generation. And God put that generation on our planet for a reason. And so our church has invested quite a good chunk of change on how we can start thinking and how to reach the next generation. And by the way, John Garner told me just this week that our young adult rising emerging professional adults is is really gaining traction right now. You don't see them like they meet on Thursday nights. And one of the things we're learning about the millennial generation is they tend to a la carte a lot of things. They go to church all over the place. They go to different places all the time. They go to Bible studies in different places. They do it different than we do it. And that's okay. That's okay. It's okay that they do it different than we did it. But I'm just telling you, uh, we want to help usher the kingdom in. But here's why I'm bringing this up. We went through a training on, or, or really a coaching session. It was so good um, with Generational Forces, and it's led by a guy that's a little bit older than me and a, a guy that's in his, in his early 30s, and they are a power team uh, of good research. But we're going to be hosting that. This is where you come in. We're going to be hosting that in the next few weeks. You're going to see it, uh, an announcement made sometime between now and summer about where you, all of you in the corporate space, whether you're in education or the marketplace or whether you're, you know, whether you're an executive or whatever you do, small business, doesn't matter, we're going to be hosting uh, a Give Us Franklin type event where you can come and bring your work some of your work teammates. You can come with some of your executive team. You can come uh, even if you just want to learn how to better be a leader and understand and learn how to listen and learn to this next generation. Um, they, they are our future, you guys. And so you're going to hear more about this coming up. But I wanted to show you that picture that our staff went through. It was really pivotal and uh, clear view. You know what they told us in, coming out? That's kind of interesting. They said the fact They've done research with literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of businesses. been going for years, the Ph.D. research that, that Kent's been doing. But he said, the fact that our church is doing anything on the formal level to think about the next generation puts us in the top 16% of churches across the nation. Because that just tells you that 84% of, he said 84% of churches across the country have no strategy in place at all for the millennial generation. That's, that's heartbreaking. But, and we don't want to be in that statistic. 
We, we want to be people who are doing our best to learn uh, and, and ha- how we can do that for the Lord. So, Well, today we're going to get started in our keys to freedom. Uh, today we're dealing specifically with key number six. And um, we're going to be talking about authority. This is a really broad topic, and there's no way I can do it justice in, in one sitting. So my goal is to kind of give you a foundation today because I think... I think um, Authority, is, authority in Christ is something you hear a lot about, but you, um, it's often very misunderstood. Authority can be a funny thing. Um, there's there's you know, perceived authority and there's real authority. We're going to talk about real authority today. I, uh, it, as I was putting this together, it reminded me of a time back when, uh, when, when this, it was years ago, I've been coaching uh, football, the YMCA, and, and uh, ha- have met so many people through that, and, and it's been so much fun, and, and I've learned a lot about myself, uh, more than I really wanted to learn about me uh, coaching young kids. Um, Michelle's had many talks with me about, about, about me um, and, and all that. I don't want to go into all that now. All of a sudden, I'm feeling really uh, anxious about that. I want to move out of that topic. But, but uh, I, I'll tell you one thing I did notice one time. Um, if, you, if, you, if you live in Franklin, if you don't, I'll explain it to you. If you go down Columbia Avenue, if you know anything about Franklin in the last 10 years, I mean, Columbia Avenue is just a train wreck. I mean, there, there is just, just don't get anywhere near it. Uh, I, I avoid it like the bubonic plague. It, it's, and it's just, it's a two-way and, and it, it's awful. And, and they've got a red light there in front of Lasco Fields right now, if right there by Binks and all that. There's a red light, but for a long time there was no red light. And so here was the problem. Because when practice would be over, you couldn't get out. I mean, like everybody was a jerk. Uh, and, and that includes you if you were in those crowds in that day. I'm just going to tell you right now. I mean, for all of us parents, you know, it was, uh, I mean, there was nobody would let you It'd be like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. You're trying to get home, get a bath, get homework, get dinner, all that stuff. And nobody would let you out. In the parents' line, we would be backed up like, you know, for 17 miles. It felt like, anyway. You just couldn't get out. So, you know, one day I said, I'm tired of this. You know, and so what I did, I always keep a, a high-vis vest. I keep it in my truck and a uh, PPE vest. And I, had to, I always had it in my truck. And then, and then I thought, well, you know, what? one day I, I was sitting there in this long line because I had all this time to think, you know, and, and I, nobody's letting us out. And I thought, well, you know what? I've got a whistle. Because I'm, I'm, you know, I am the head football coach for the Jets, and it matters. I mean, you know. And, and so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? So I, I pulled, this is this honest truth. Uh, I don't, th- this is surprising none of y'all at this moment, but this is what I did. So I pulled up beside everybody. I just pulled off to the side. I put my high-vis vest on, and I walked smack in the middle of that traffic on Columbia Avenue. Now, look, I, I've watched cops do this. So I had been mentored just by observation. I, I mean, I, I've, I've watched this. My whole life, you've watched it, too. You're, you've got the power to do this if you'll just take it. So what I did is I put my whistle on, and I walked into the crowd, and I did exactly what cops had mentored me to do. I pointed at one, whammo, hit my Fox 40, pointed at the other one, whammo, stopped in. Okay, so now, all of a sudden, I've made 50% of the people of the town mad, right? And then I turned to all of us godly parents who have been, who have been taking our kids to practice, and I pointed at them, point, come this way. And then, you know, and I kind of did the Southwest thing, you know, where they... they Route. And, and let me tell you, 
And it dawned on me in that morning, I had 50% of the world angry with me. And 50% of the world loved me to death. And I thought, this is just like being a pastor. <laughs> like, I, I'm called to this already. I know how to do this. I'm half people are always mad, half are not. You know, and so, man, and I, but it, what was amazing, this whole deal was I had no real authority. In fact, Nobody saw me do it, but I'm sure if a police officer had seen me do it, you know, they'd been like, who's this moron out here? You know, he's going to get people in a big wreck, right? But I'm fascinated with how much authority everybody was willing to give me just because I had a whistle, you know, and a high-vis vest. So I'm just saying there's times you have perceived authority, and then there's times you have actual authority. So I didn't have any real authority on that day, but I did, I did try to use some, and it did work. And I did that for about three or four weeks. And then, uh, ironically, a, an officer showed up one week, and uh, that's the honest truth. And then they started, I'm like, oh, somebody probably phoned it in. Hey, you're going to, we, we got a real issue brewing over here on Columbia Avenue. You better do something. So today I'm going to talk to you about, about what it means to have actual authority, because you do have actual authority. I'm going to talk to you about what I'm going to call four key truths about spiritual authority. And that's really all I knew to call it, because it, it, we're going to talk about what it means to this week as you're going through Keys to Freedom, you're going to talk about what it means to have spiritual authority. So let me start out by telling you that there, there, there's a line of thinking in the Bible um, that we all use as ministers. There's times you have stories and you can, you can read a story, and you can break it down, and you can get a whole bunch of biblical truth from one story. But there's many times that we have life issues, and there isn't just one verse we can go to. Or there is not just one perfect story to illustrate it. So in those times, we pull together what we call a systematic theology. And a systematic theology just means, I'll give you a perfect example. We really do not have, the longest passage we have about the life of Jesus is actually Philippians 2. Uh, Philippians 2 tells us uh, more about Jesus than, than really maybe any other. How do we know about the life of Christ? We had to piece it together, right? We had to take all the different places from the Gospels and what Paul said and what Philippians said and what John said and what even the Old Testament said. And so we put all of that in a bucket and you get your systematic, systematic theology of who Jesus is. Well, today we're going to have to do that with what authority is because you do have it and God has given it to you. But if you don't know how to use it, you'll either misuse it or you'll just get yourself into some, you know, deeper confusion. So let me tell you what, as, as a believer in Christ, what, the, what your authority is not. Okay, let me start there. Let me tell you, when we talk about using your authority, let me tell you what it's not. It's not just confidence, okay? It's not you being confident in the Lord. Does God want you to be confident? Of course he does. But it's not just confidence, and it's not just positive thoughts, you know? I mean... You know, for those of us that are bent toward optimism, you know, most of you live in Realville, and those of us that, that are not living in Realville, we tend to think too much about, you know, oh, it'll be just fine, and you know, then those of you that are real, it's like, no, it's not going to be fine, it's bad, and you need to admit that it's bad because you're pretending, you know. It's not just positive thinking, and I tell you what, using your authority is also not. It's not just speaking declarations. Now, you see a lot of people do this. You see a lot of people that will just start declaring things. And that, that can be misleading because it's not, it's not that it's bad in and of itself. It's just that it's not accurate. 
So let's talk today about what it actually means to have authority. There's going to be two specific places that we're going to use, okay? We're going to use Ephesians chapter 1, so it's going to be in the New Testament. We're going to use, uh, it's Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, right in there, Paul's letters. And we're going to use James chapter 4, okay? So we're going to use those, and, and, and I've got some of that on the screen for you. I hate to make you use two different places in your Bible, but these are two really solid foundational places. So we're going to start by reading Ephesians 1. And, and you will hear this prayer um, mentioned a lot. A lot of, a lot of teaching has been gone out, going out over the many, many years about what Paul prayed over the church at Ephesus. He really loved this church. It, some of this prayer kind of shows up again in the church at, at Colossae. But um, Ephesians chapter 1, this is a group of Christians that are new in Christ, and, and Paul prays something over them, and, and so we're going to read it. Uh, Philippians, I mean, excuse me, Ephesians uh, 1.18. Here we go. I pray that the eyes of your heart, you can use the word soul, that is the, your inner self, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know that's just, now, let me stop there for a second. I don't, I don't want to just stop it short, but I, I want to tell you what that means. That is not academic knowledge, okay? When he says, I want you to know something, it's not learning facts. It means experience. I want you to experience in the deepest part of you, okay? It's not just learning something for the sake of learning more trivia. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, with which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, that's all spiritual realms, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the fullness who fills all in all. So Paul is praying over his friends at Ephesus. And so, so I'm going to give you what I'm, what I'm just going to call four foundations, and, and, and they're going to be based on this prayer, and they're, you're going to see these in your key study this week. Uh, you're going to see some of these passages, and so I kind of put these together in the form of a sermon for you. And the first foundational truth about your spiritual authority is that authority is conferred in Christ and never earned through performance. And you really got to know that. Authority is, it is conferred, meaning it is, it is given, right? Authority is not ours to earn. It was given to us in our position in Christ. So, and, and, and Paul, in, in a roundabout way, kind of a, a points to this in the, in the first, in the, the verse 18 of Ephesians 1. Look at what he, what he says, and I want you to hone in on this word, his, okay? Talking about Jesus. Look at the word his. I pray the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So we are the recipients of his power. We are the recipients of the inheritance. We are the recipients of the calling in the saints. 
So when, when, when you've been given authority to, to tackle issues that, that the enemy sends your way, you do have authority, but it starts with Christ, and it's a conferred authority. In other words, the, the, the power itself, it, it rests on the power behind it. My authority in Christ rests or is grounded in who I am in Christ. And so I guess a good way to illustrate this would be like power of attorney. Okay? If you know anything about power of attorney, there's limited power of attorney and then there's full power of attorney. Well, my dad did something just, I thought, so wise many, many years ago, probably 10 years ago. Uh, dad gave, put, gave me full power of attorney for him and mom. Um, and, and boy, has that come in handy. Because when, when it comes to, as my parents are getting older and you have to go to doctors, and then I, you know, then I can call and, and that, what we go and we sit and you know, we compare notes. And if I need anything, if I need to know anything, if I need to get something in translation between the doctors and us, then, then I have, all I have to do is show them that POA, and then they, they don't have, then there's no more questions. I have power of attorney. And, and so, that, but that is given to me by my daddy, right? So it's the same thing. What, what, God, what God did in Christ is he's, he's conferring authority upon you, but it comes from him, but it's given to the saints, it says. So under, I just want you to understand, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but that's when I say that authority is not just declarations. You have people all the time walking around, I declare this and I declare that and I declare this. And that, it doesn't really work because it was never given to us for, for just the simple fact of our own benefit. It was given to us to move the kingdom of God forward. It was given to us uh, to use with humility in Christ. But we do have it. It's just that it's not earned and it's grounded in who Christ is. And so I'm going to give you one other foundational truth based out of Ephesians, that authority is grounded in the acceptance of inheritance and ownership. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. This, this is what you've got to get your mind around. Your authority in Christ to overcome sin and bondage, your authority to speak to things in your kid's life, your authority to speak to issues that you see, your authority to, to use authority, it's grounded in the fact that you have to accept your inheritance and the ownership of that inheritance. So you say, Jason, what, what do you mean? Well, if there's one consistent teaching that Paul has all throughout his writings... Paul is what I would say, he's a master at the contrast, the before and the after. Man, if you start looking for this, you will see it pop up. In it's, it's everywhere. Paul loved to use the before and after idea. And he does it again right here into the church at Ephesus. What he's, Paul is always, 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 in some shape or form or fashion, it seems to me, as, as I've read him over the years, that he is always trying to get us to understand who we were versus who we are. Who we were before versus who we are now. And so he does it right here. He said, my, my heart's desire, I pray, my deepest prayer. In fact, if you look in verse 17, he says, I've been praying that the verse 17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He really does want you to understand that you are different in Christ. It's about knowing your position. Because you are a believer, you, you have a different position. You have an inheritance, right? And, and so because of that, benefits come with it. I, I think that 
I think where the average Christian gets tangled up in this issue of biblical authority and how to use it. And for some of you, you've never even heard talk like this. And that's okay. I mean, there's a first time for everything. I had to, I had to learn that myself, and I had to grow. Authority is not something you just, in, in, me, in my experience, authority is not something you just grasp in a day. And so nobody's expecting you to grasp it in a day. But what I am telling you, Christian friend, listen to me. You have power beyond what you think you do. You hearing me? You have power beyond what you think you do. Power that's been given to you by God. You just got to learn how to use it and when to use it and not misappropriate it because you can bully people with it or you can try to manipulate situations. And that's where we see all the the, the bad stuff happen. But I'm telling you, I think the average Christian really kind of has this picture in their head that we live, we live in this constant state of tug of war. We're pulled toward God or we're pulled toward the devil. And, and we're, a lot of Christians, I think, kind of live with this, with, with this toxic understanding or toxic belief that, that, that we're just caught between God and the devil until we finally get home one day and you know we're leaning on the promises. And I'm saying, no, because you are now in Christ, Authority is about a chain of command. It's linear. All right? It's linear. And it's not linear because you're so awesome. It's linear because Jesus is perfect and he put his power on you. In fact, in verse, in verse 19, there's an, there's a, Paul kind of points to it. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. And then verse 19, so that you'll know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. See, you're the recipients of that power. And then then he, he gives a qualifier right here in verse 19, and you really do need to get your mind around this. He said, these are all of this stuff, your calling, your inheritance, your power, all of that is lined up. I'm going to give you the, the Southern translation, the Jason translation. I'm going to make this, I'm going to give you the street translation of this, okay? Your calling, your inheritance, your power, it's all lined up in the power that brought Jesus out of the grave. And that same power is the same power that brought you out of your grave. You tracking with me? So because of that, you've got power. You really do. It's a vertical chain of command. And so you need to understand that authority in Christ... Now now wrap your mind around this, okay? Your authority in Christ is not based on tension. It's based on truth. Based on, it's not based on tension. It's not this push and pull of good versus evil and living, living in the in-between. You know, we're, we're, we're not who we used to be and we're not who we're going to be. But I am telling you, friends, that you, you don't have to live in this constant push and pull where you win some and you lose some in Jesus' name. No, it's already been won in Jesus' name. And because it's been won in Jesus' name, you're not who you used to be. And and when you start getting your mind around the fact that you don't have to obey the voices that used to command you, then you're going to find you got power. You got power over situations because of your inheritance and your ownership. So it's not, authority and, and freedom isn't built on this tension, it's built on truth. See, when you encounter the enemy, he is a master liar and he's a master con man. And when you encounter the enemy, you don't have to outpower him, you just outtruth him. You with me? You just outtruth him. You learn how to outtruth him because truth is on your side. So, now I talked to you about 
this idea of inheritance, and I told you we were going to move into James chapter 4. Now, that you're going to encounter this verse in, um, in your study in Keys to Freedom. And it's a really powerful verse, and this is going to help you in the practical. It's, it's James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. So this is a different writer, but he's going to talk to you about this idea of winning. James, so almost go to the end of your Bible. It's right before 1 Peter. Hebrews, James, Hebrews, James, Peter, you'll find it. James chapter 4. Now, James, again, he's, he's writing to Christians, brand new Christians. These were former Jews, and now they're believers in Christ. And he says to them, submit, verse 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil. Now, these, these are axiomatic, okay? These are, these are kind of one, two, three. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here we go. Number three. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Okay, what is he getting at right there? Okay, why would he all of a sudden move into this whole thing about submitting to God, resist the devil, and then go after purity? Like, what's he getting at right there? Well, I'm going I'm to walk that out for you in just a minute. So your authority in Christ is based on who Christ is. It's based on your inheritance. But the question then is, okay, then, if, then Jason, if I'm going to go use this authority in a sales meeting or, you know, if somebody's, you know, throwing lies at me or if I've got some issue that I'm driving down the road, this is where it gets in. This is how it happens to me a lot of times. I don't know how it happens to y'all. But, you know, I can be having a pretty good day and then I have a thought. You know, it just, it just happens. You know, it can be about a person. It can be about my past. I mean, I, you know, it's, and Martin Luther said it. Oh, man, he said it the best. Um, he said, um, you have no control over the fact that birds fly over your head, but you can control whether or not they build a nest in your hair. Right? I, I can't control thoughts that come into my head, thoughts about you, thoughts about me, thoughts about my past, thoughts about my church, thoughts about my family, thoughts about friends, thoughts about money, thoughts about a situation. You ever notice that sometimes the enemy's just really good at just throwing things at you? He just throws things at you. Like, where'd that come from? So what do you do in those moments? Why is it that the devil must flee? It comes back to conferred authority. You see, you've been given authority. You're not who you used to be. You are now in Christ. And because you have an inheritance, James tells us how to walk this out. The first thing he says is submit to God. So, so go, back to the, go back one there. Yeah, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now, that's not this way. All right? Not like that. That's not what he's talking about. All right? He's talking about, let me, I, I'll illustrate it for you with this umbrella. Okay? Um, you know, y'all leave stuff at church, and then sometimes they wind up in sermons. Uh, but so, so it, 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 if, if you have an umbrella, it's a tool, right? Keys to Freedom is about finding real tools. Tonight, I'm going to give you some really personal tools that God has built in me over the years to really bring me mental victory, spiritual victory, physical victory. I'm going to walk you through some real victorious things that I've learned over the years. And, but, but one thing I've learned about tools is, you know, you got to use them the way they were intended to be used, right? 
So, so I can, if it's raining outside, you know, I can fight the rain off, you know, like that. Then y'all would think, okay, wait a minute. He tries to direct traffic with a whistle. He doesn't know how to use it. Do we really want to go to church here? I mean, no. So, um, you don't use, you don't, an umbrella was never meant to be used this way. And that's what a lot of people do with authority. They try to sling it at situations and use it to batter situations. And they don't really understand the idea of where authority comes from. But it works like you got to know if you use it. Which, by the way, I, this is obviously a woman's umbrella, okay? Um, because y'all use these perfect umbrellas, slide in your purse. When I want an umbrella, I want one that's 22 feet wide. All right, I want I want to I just I want like this walking tarp is what I and that's you know so that's why I don't use it. But but it, now all of a sudden that I've got this umbrella now I'm using it the way it was meant to be used. Oh by the way, for those of you that are superstitious, I'm ringing your bell right now. I just realized something <laughs> that um, you know y'all need to get over that in the name of Jesus. All right, um, so if I had a ladder, I'd walk under that sucker too just to make it. But but. So you, you got this thing going on right now, and so you got to come under it. But if, I, but if I use it the way it was meant to be used, I'm coming underneath something, right? That's what he means by submit to God. Come underneath the power source. So when you come underneath the power, now guess what? I'm covered, right? I'm covered. I'm covered in who Christ is. And so that's why the devil, so the, the idea that if you, want, if you want to understand why the devil must flee from you, the third, the third pillar that I'm going to build this on is authority is sustained through submission. It's grounded in Christ, it's grounded in my inheritance, but it's sustained through submission. And, and I don't want, look, don't, don't chase a rabbit trail on this, I, I don't. I don't mean that we sustain it through our own personal power. Okay, we, we know that. We, we, we're, not, we're not perfect. God is perfect. We're not all-powerful. God is all-powerful. When I say authority is sustained through submission, what I mean is, what James, I believe, is getting at is that you are willfully submitting your allegiance. Okay? You're willfully submitting your allegiance. And I'm going to prove that to you in just a second of why. Because James points, he uses this phrase all the time that I've learned to, 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 to really cling to, right? It is to place myself under something. See, when, when, you, when you fall underneath the power of God, then you basically what you're doing is you're aligning your life to his life. This, this is why so many times your prayers go unanswered, Okay? You want your prayers answered? Now, I don't mean answered the way, you know. I mean, I can, I can pray for a lot of things. I mean, I'm, gonna, you know, it's, I'm not going to. The prophet Garth Brooks told us, thank God for unanswered prayers. I mean, we, you know, we, we understand that, that God doesn't. Aren't, aren't you glad God hadn't answered all your prayers? You know, praise God, you know. So there's a lot of stuff that would have happened to me had God given me what I wanted. But to submit to God means that I fall underneath the authority of who he is. So when, if you want your prayers answered, then what you first must do, according to the book of James, I could go on for hours about this because I've had to learn it the hard way. The book of James taught me a lot about how to pray differently. Because what I've learned about praying is that I first go to God 
And I say to him, I, I will adjust my life to whatever you want. See, when you reconcile obedience, God will begin to speak to you. Did you hear me? When you reconcile obedience, when you put to bed this idea that no matter what God tells you, I am going to obey, that's when you are single-minded, right? When you're single-minded. See, notice what he just said in verse, um, in verse 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, all right? So when I say it's sustained through submission, what it means is you've, you've fallen into this place where you are willfully submitting your, your soul, your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions, your desires, your innermost self. You're lining that up to God. So it's sustained through a willful submission to God. And I would also maybe even go one step further and say that I think what he's getting at is that authority is sustained by pursuing purity. So what do you mean, Jason? I didn't say perfection, so don't get those words confused. Purity is not perfection. Purity is a desire. What does James say in, in verse 7? Submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Right out, next, right out of the gate, right, right, right behind it. Draw near to God. That's on me to do. See, there are some things, listen to me, friends. There are some things God has given you to do. Some of the things are on you. Draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, hands, you sinners. That, that's a metaphor biblically. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So let me tell you, when he talks about double-minded, it is a powerful, I mean, it is a powerful. I don't usually use words like this because I think sometimes we overuse things, trying to look smart. It is a powerful theological truth, if you can get your head around this. This idea of double-mindedness. Double-mindedness literally means two-souled. What James, and this isn't the only time he uses that phrase. He uses it again in James chapter 1. But the idea of being two-souled, you know what that means? You're, you're totally going to get this. What it means is you have, there's a, there's a center court line. You might not be able to see it. And there's even a split step right here. I am straddling a line right now. And what he's saying by being two-souled, is that you've got half of yourself living under your own desires and your own demands and your own constructs of what you're willing to do and the other half living in... So one half's in the kingdom of me, the other half is in the kingdom of God. And so what God is saying is, no, you are all the way in the kingdom of you because I don't do co-pilot. That's what he's saying. I, I, I don't do co-pilot. Not because I'm mean or ugly. I'm just saying, you know, I built a plane. I'm going to fly it, not you. So when you, when you are double-minded, James says in James chapter 1, that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all without partiality. But when he asks, he must ask in faith. Or he'll be like the one driven, tossed to and fro. And that man ought not to expect to receive anything from the Lord because he is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. What that means is you haven't resolved obedience. So God's not going to answer you because he knows you're going to do what you want to do. And you've proven it time after time, right? Hey, y'all know what I'm talking about? It's called teenagers. You got teenagers? You ever had teenagers? Yeah. Or how about this? Maybe your teenagers are great. 
You ever had anybody in your family? You ever been talking to somebody at work and you can tell everything coming out of your mouth, just brick wall, none of it matters, they're not going to listen, right? You ever had that feeling? None of this is getting through, is it? Oh, wow. You're not going to, this isn't even computing with you, is it? You've already made up your mind. You, you, you ever have these defeating moments where people ask you for advice, but you can tell by the look in their eyes they've already made up their mind? Like, why did you call me? You know, this makes no sense. That's what James is saying. See, in that moment, you have divided loyalties. So now, how in the world does this have anything to do with resisting the devil and living with authority? I'll tell you what it's about. You, you have a position in Christ, but if you, if you live in a world of pollution and you choose to follow that trend, don't expect the power of God to honor that. Are you with me? Don't expect the power of God to honor that. It's why when couples come to me and ask to be married, when we sit down, one of the first questions I ask them is, okay, I'm going to give you a written covenant. It's a one-page deal. And on that covenant are a few things. I'm going to tell you what I'm, what I'm going to bring and what I'm going to promise, and you're going to give me a few things you're going to promise because you don't have to have me. I mean, you can go get married at the courthouse. You can get another minister. You don't have to have me to marry you. But if you want me to marry you biblically, what I want to know is, are you going to honor God with your sex life? Because if you're willfully out of covenant, if you're already sexually active, I won't marry you. So why would you not? Because you're drunk. You're drunk. It's intoxicating. And you can't think straight. And so all, you, you think you're in love. No, you're in lust. And you, you, I still might marry you, and I'm not saying I won't. What I am saying is... If you want to hear from God, he's not going to speak to you when you're saying with your lifestyle, I don't care what you say. You, you, it doesn't make, I'm, not being, I'm not being a jerk. What I'm saying is, if I'm telling God, oh, I want you to, so you, here's what they're asking me, right? This is not even in my notes. I don't know how I got off on this, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so you're asking me to stand before a congregation of people and ask God to rain down anointing on your life. But by your own life, you're not willing to live in covenant. You've already violently told God, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. So what I'm saying to you is, I will marry you. But we're going to put our names on that paper. That from this day, I don't care what you've done behind you. But from this day forward, we're going to get sober. And then we're going to begin to ask God. Because I know marriage is not easy. And so if we're going to get married, and you're going to make it, and the statistics show that well over half the couples that are sexually active, like 80%, they're sexually active before marriage, divorce. So sh let's show the Lord that you really do want to hear from him about actually is this person for you or not. So we're not going to start out our marriage believing a lie. And we're going to start with faithfulness. You may not be able to regain your virginity, but you can regain your purity. Amen? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And I'm going to help you, and I'm not going to condemn you, 
and I'm going to walk with you, but you need to know that every time you and I meet, I am going to ask you, have you honored the covenant? Now, I'm not perfect. I'm saying that if we're going to go after the heart of God, then let's don't spit in his face. Right? It doesn't make you a bad person. We've all, we may not have done that, but we've all done things that are worthy of his discipline. What I'm saying is, let's get ourselves in a position of purity so that we're not too sold. Because when you're, when you're singly aligned to God, guess what? Now, you're falling underneath the protection and the power and the dominion of his covering. And with that comes authority. And you can use that because your heart is willfully aligned to it. It's willfully aligned to it. It's about allegiance. So why would I bring up these issues? Because I, I really do. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what I think is so important. Man, I watch... I watch so many Christians. In fact, completely transparent with you, I've I've walked these roads myself. I've, I've watched so many of us in the family of God get beat up and taken advantage of because we don't understand our inheritance. We don't understand our power. We don't understand our position in Christ. And therefore, we don't know how to use the tools. We don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to use those things. And so we just get beat up and weary. And we feel like we're in this perpetual boxing match with the devil and we're just always losing and we're always losing. And I'm saying to you, you don't have to fight like that. You can just out-truth him. If you know whose you are, if you know who owns you, right? If you know who owns you. So, what did Jesus say? John 10, 10. Look at this. I love this verse. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I want you to study that verse for a minute. Because we always want to throw our hands up and, woo, yeah, you know, have life to the full. No, look, look at what he says. The, what does the thief come? What does the enemy come to do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a liar. He's a killer. He's a destroyer. There's nothing good about him. By the way, still kill and destroy. Let me tell you something. Friends, you've got an enemy that's real, and he's not playing. He's not playing. But I'm saying to you, you don't have to get beat up for the rest of your life till you slide into heaven on fumes. You don't. Because what did Jesus say? He said, I've come that they may have life. And you know what he's talking about right there? He's not talking about your later life. He's talking about your now life. He's talking about your now life. You don't have to walk around beat up, weary, full of shame for who you used to be, what you did last week. You, listen, the Bible says in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us in Christ. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad there's no condemnation because there's a lot to be condemned. I mean, there's places in my past I really don't want to talk about, and that's not me being just falsely humble or, you know, insincere. No, I mean, really. If there was a closet door and you opened it, you'd go, 
Oh, wow. All those times he wasn't joking. No, I'm not. I'm really not. All of us have defied God. All of us have spit in his face with disobedience and rebellion. All of us have done all. We've, we've all we're all guilty on different ways, different methods, different strategies, but we're all in the same camp until we met Christ. And he says that same power, the resurrection power, is the power that brought us out of the grave. And we're not who we used to be. We're not who we used to be. And so we don't have to keep living in a world that we used to live in. We don't because he came to give us life. And so I want to say this to you. And I want you to listen to me really close. All you in the chapel, listen to me really close. I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm going to say. Because I'm not minimizing this, okay? But hear me really clearly. Jesus did not come only to die on a cross to remove the guilt and the punishment of your sins. Oh, that is the chief, okay? That is the number one. But if that's all it was about, then the moment you came to Christ... You're gone. You're out of here, right? Because you made it. Well, when I came to Jesus, some vortex didn't come down and boom, I'm gone. That didn't happen to me. It didn't happen to you either. Jesus came that we could have life now as we get ready for life later. So I love what he says. In Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all you who are weary. You've got this God that loves you. I mean, he honestly really does. And he knows all about you. Isn't that hard to get your head around? That the God knows everything about you, and he still goes, that's my girl. That he knows everything about what you think about other people. And he says, that's my son. And I love him. He knows all your secrets. And he says, yeah. If we all, let me tell you something. If you all, if all of us understood just how truly messed up, bruised, broken, frail, hypocritical at times, lethargic, victorious, successful, Kind, loving, gentle, rude, arrogant, wonderful. We all are. Well, we'd all take a deep breath, wouldn't we? Because we're all that. Every one of us, me too. Come to me, all you who are weary, Jesus said, and I'll give you rest. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.